Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We return to our consideration of the book of Psalms and various uh, select Psalms. And this evening, we're going to consider a of Psalm 105. Psalm 105 is, is a lengthy psalm, so we're not going to have time to uh, cover it all this evening, but we'll cover the main points. Uh, tonight, uh, we consider Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15. So let us hear God's holy word, Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, speak of all His wonders, glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad, seek the Lord and His strength, seek His face continually. Remember His wonders which He has done, His marvels and the judgments uttered by His mouth. O seed of Abraham, His servant, O sons of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered His covenant forever, the word which He commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac. Then He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few men in number, very few and strangers in it, And they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Dear friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's seek the Lord's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Gracious Lord and Father in heaven, once again, We would invoke and beseech you for the presence of your Spirit to attend the proclamation of your word this evening. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would soften and open our hearts to receive the things of your word, the things that the Spirit is speaking to us in this portion of your God-breathed, infallible, inerrant word. We thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, a guide to our way. We ask, Lord, that Jesus would be exalted in the preaching of your word this evening. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be edified and built up in our faith. We ask these things through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Title of my sermon this evening is Remember His Wonders. And I encourage the children especially to keep track of these key words that I suggest to you in your sermon outline. Well, dear friends, as God's people, have you ever asked yourself the question, why do I worship God? Why should we worship and serve the Lord? What is our incentive, our motivation for worship, for service, and for obedience? For example, should we seek to worship and serve and obey God because it will make us feel good inside? and give us a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives? Or is it so that we might experience the blessings of the Lord in our lives? Do we worship God in order to be blessed by the Lord? Or perhaps to foster moral improvement in our lives? In terms of our social obligations, 
Should we seek to worship, serve, and obey the Lord in order to fulfill our social obligations or perhaps to live up to uh, the expectations of our community or to foster social unity and social cohesion and so forth? Well, dear ones, there are, is indeed some truth to all of these hypothetical reasons and motivations that I've just listed to you for worshiping, serving, and obeying the Lord. The worship and service of Almighty God, for example, can indeed uh, contribute to our emotional well-being. It can give us a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. That certainly is the case. And of course, in genuine, spirit-filled, word-based worship and service, we do indeed experience the rich spiritual blessings of communion with our Lord Jesus Christ as we taste His goodness and His grace. And of course, our, our corporate worship together as a church indeed helps to strengthen and solidify our bonds of unity and fellowship together as a community of Christ, as a local expression of the body of Christ, and that is important. But of course, scripturally speaking, our ultimate incentive, our ultimate motivation for worshiping and serving and seeking to obey our Lord is not man-centered, but rather it is God-centered. We are to worship, to serve, and to seek to obey our Lord for who He is and for what He has done. The focus should be on Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about who He is. And it's about His mighty deeds, His wonders. Our psalm for this Lord's Day evening, in summoning us as God's people to worship and to praise, presents the summons in a God, from a God-centered perspective. As we are called upon to glory in His holy name, as it says in verse 3. In other words, to glory in who God is revealed to be in all of His glorious divine attributes. And we are also exhorted here, for example, in verse 5, to remember His wonders. In other words, we are to take to heart His mighty deeds of grace and of judgment in guarding and fulfilling His covenant promises. Now, as we uh, turn our attention to our psalm for this evening, it's important to note, if, you, if you've ever read this section of the book of Psalms, you'll notice that Psalms 104 through 106 are, are intertwined. The, the themes of these psalms are, are closely connected. And in reality, Psalms 104 through 106 uh, go together, thematically speaking. For example, in Psalm 104, we saw that God is praised for His mighty works of creation and providence. Here in Psalm 105, God is praised for His mighty acts of redemption and deliverance, in particular in the redemptive historical events of God making and keeping His covenant promises to Abraham, the keeping of those promises being expressed in God's deliverance of His people Israel from their slavery in Egypt and in bringing them into the promised land just as He had uh, covenanted to do. And in Psalm 106, God is praised for His mercy and faithfulness to His people Israel in spite of their many sins and provocations, in spite of their many violations of His covenant. God was faithful to His people in spite of their persistent unfaithfulness. Uh, one of the study notes in the Lutheran Study Bible 
relates Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 as follows. It says, Psalms 105 and 106 stand together as they recall God's promise to Abraham to bring Israel into the promised land and the mighty ways he kept that promise. Psalm 105 focuses on God's grace, while Psalm 106 describes the people's rebellion and their continued need for mercy. And it goes on to note, interestingly, that Psalm 105, 1 through 15, appears in 1 Chronicles 16, 8 through 22, at the joyous occasion of David's bringing the ark to Jerusalem, indicating that it was used in worship on festival occasions, celebrating the covenant God made with his people. And indeed, Uh, The tone of this psalm is one of celebration, celebration of God being faithful to keep his covenant promises. So with all of this in mind, as we turn our attention to the opening uh, verses, the opening section of Psalm 105, we note uh, a call to worship the Lord for his holy name and for his wondrous deeds of grace and judgment. This is the first uh, point on your sermon outline if you're following along. Beloved, let us worship the Lord for his holy name and for his wondrous deeds of grace and judgment. Here in this opening section, the psalmist summons God's people to praise, to worship, and to witness to the Lord. As it opens up in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, to the Lord, Yahweh. God, uh, Israel's faithful covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. The people of God are summoned to give thanks to the Lord. And closely related with the call to thank the Lord is the call to call upon His name. We thank the Lord by calling upon His name in prayer and in praise. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. And when we thank the Lord, when we call upon His name, we also make known his deeds among the peoples, or as some translations put it, among the nations. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a sense in which when we come to worship, we're not just praising God and thanking God, uh, but we are also making known to those outside of the covenant community that God is alive, that God is real. We are making known his deeds among the peoples, and especially in our time when, when church attendance is becoming less and less of a, a frequency, uh, becoming less and less uh, prominent in our, in our culture. Uh, we really stand out when you get up on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening and you take yourself and your family uh, to church on the Lord's Day. That sends a message uh, to the world outside of the church that, you know, you may reject the Lord, but the Lord is alive. He is real. He is real to us, and we bear witness to him in our worship of God. One of the ways that we witness to, to the Lord, uh, to outsiders, is by gathering regularly for worship. And so the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. And then verse 2, sing to him. Sing praises to him. The singing of praise is, uh, is indeed a divine ordinance of worship. It is something we are commanded to do. And some, some of God's people say, well, I don't, I'm not a very good singer, so I think I'll just keep quiet. No. Uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord, whether it's good singing or bad singing. Of course, try to, try to sing good. <laughs> try to sing well. But uh, we are to sing. We have much to sing about. God has been merciful to us. 
He has uh, brought us out of the pit of despair, out of the pit of sin and damnation, and He has brought us into the kingdom of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, He has redeemed us. He has renewed us. He's given us new life. He has made us new creations in Christ. So, brothers and sisters, we have much to sing about, and we are exhorted, commanded in Scripture to sing to Him, sing praises to Him. The psalmist repeats himself for emphasis. And notice again the close connection between singing his praises and speaking of his wonders, meaning his wonderful deeds, his wonderful works of redemption and judgment. In the New American Standard Version that I'm preaching from, it says, speak of all his wonders. That is translated in versions like the ESV as tell of all his wonders wondrous works. We can do that, of course, in our daily conversations with those outside of Christ as we seek to share the gospel as God in his good providence gives us opportunity. Uh, That's certainly a, a good thing to do, a commendable thing to do. But we also speak of his wondrous works and tell others of his wondrous works through our singing of praise to the Lord. As another commentator puts it, the telling of his wondrous works or speaking of all of his wonders refers to those acts of grace and judgment that God performs in history. God enters history and acts graciously on behalf of his people, remarkably so in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of his only begotten Son. Again, Uh, living as we do under the New Covenant, when we read this psalm or any portion of the Old Testament, we read these things as fulfilled in Christ and pointing us uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So these mighty works of God, of God's judgment and grace in the Old Testament, pointed us forward to the ultimate mighty works of God in Christ, as Christ took the judgment of God upon himself on the cross and redeemed us through his precious blood. And then notice verse 3. I mentioned this a few, a few minutes ago, but again, notice it says, Glory in His holy name. What is God's holy name? Holy means set apart. He is transcendent. He is distinct from His creation. Uh, as Van Til taught us, there's the creator-creature distinction. God is transcendent. He is set apart as the creator of heaven and earth. But He's also holy, ethically speaking. He is set apart. His holy name, God's name, represents His revealed character, His divine attributes. So we are summoned here to glory in God's holy name, not just that we we think about the name of God as as a designation or a title, but that we glory in His revealed character. We meditate upon, we consider, we reflect upon, and glory in the greatness and the goodness of our merciful God. And then verse 4, we, as the imperatives and exhortations continue, seek the Lord, seek Yahweh and His strength. We have no strength in ourselves, but praise God, it was when we were weak that Christ died for our sins. We are weak in our sin, in our fallenness, but the Lord is strong and We can do all things through him who strengthens us. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Again, we have no strength in ourselves to worship, to serve, or to obey our covenant Lord. But by his sovereign, omnipotent grace, we must seek 
his face. Now, what does the face of the Lord represent? It represents his favor, his presence. And so to seek the face of the Lord is to seek to live in union and communion with him, uh, to seek to live in his presence, to commune with him in prayer and in praise, both individually as an individual believer, but also since this is a, a psalm that is addressed to God's gathered covenant community, we do so as a congregation of God's people. And so seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Seek his blessing. Seek his presence in prayer and praise continually. But why should we praise the Lord? Well, I like what uh, Dr. Van Gemmeren, I know I often quote from him. He's a Reformed guy, I believe. In his commentary, he answers that question, why praise the Lord? In terms of the goal of praise, he writes, the goal of praise is threefold. First, praise magnifies the Lord. When the people of God reflect on him and what he has done, they ascribe power, holiness, and glory to his name. His perfections and mighty acts are so closely interrelated that no separation can be made between praise and thanksgiving. Second, praise intensifies an appreciation of the history of redemption as it affects God's people in the present. That is, when we reflect upon and praise the Lord for his mighty works in the past, we are assured that that God, that same God and covenant Lord of ours who has acted in history in the past continues to be at work now in our lives and in his church. And so Van Gameren goes on to say, that God's people receive consolation and encouragement, reflecting on what he has done in the past. Third, praise also witnesses to those outside the covenant community, those described as the nations, or in the New American Standard Version in verse 1, the peoples. Even as the mighty acts of God were to inspire the nations with awe, and he refers us back to Psalm 76, verses 7 and 12, so the recounting of God's acts in the past witnesses to his power over all of the nations. Beloved, what can fuel and deepen our praise and worship of God? Sometimes, and let's, let's be honest, sometimes we all, if, if you've been in the Lord for any amount of time, you can look back in time, at times in your life when you've gone through what is sometimes referred to as a spiritual dry spell, when it just feels like God is completely absent, when it feels like uh, when you pray to him that your prayers are just bouncing off the walls, not getting through uh, to the Lord. It seems like God has abandoned you or is not walking with you. He seems distant from you. And sometimes as, as a covenant community, sometimes our worship of the Lord can be cold and formalistic, even ritualistic. So what can we do? What is it that we can do, brothers and sisters, to, uh, to fuel and deepen and strengthen our praise and worship? What is to be done in order that our worship might be more personally meaningful as well as as powerful and and as spirit-blessed? Well, uh, the answer that is given in our psalm this evening is glorying in his holy name and remembering his wonders. What can fuel and deepen our praise and worship of God, whether we're talking about our our personal devotion to the Lord, our worship together as families, or our corporate worship together as a church? Again, 
getting the focus back on the Lord, reflecting upon and glorying in who God is, getting our eyes off of ourselves and back onto the Lord and His greatness, His goodness, His holiness, His majesty, and reflecting upon all that He has done for us, especially in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Imagine it, brothers and sisters, Before God created the world, He had you in mind. He had planned planned things out from the beginning. He had decreed your creation, and yes, He had decreed, sovereignly decreed, your fall in Adam and mine. Uh, God is not the author of sin, but He is the decreer of sin, and He orders even the sins of His creatures for His own glory and for the good of His people. God had that all planned out, but God's plan had you in mind, brother, sister in Christ, that before the foundation of the world, the Father gave you and me to His Son in the eternal covenant of redemption. The Father has given you to His Son from eternity. He's loved you with an everlasting love. And in time, Jesus Christ came to this earth to die, brothers, sisters, for your sins and for mine. As you reflect upon that amazing, boundless love that God has demonstrated and shown for you and for me, that should fill our hearts with awe. That should deepen and strengthen our devotion, our worship. It should fuel our praises as we glory in His holy name and as we remember His wondrous works, His wonders done for our salvation. But friends... Only as we know the Lord in a saving way can we truly appreciate and reverence the Lord for who He is and for what He has done. And so I would ask you, dear listener, this evening, whether you're here tonight or whether you're listening uh, through the Internet, I would ask you, do you, do you know the Lord in a saving way? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your very own Lord and Savior? God's Word calls upon you, summons you and me to repent and believe in Christ. Repent and believe the good news. Trust in Christ, who was crucified for the forgiveness of sins and raised from the dead, so that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation tonight. And then you too will be able, by the grace of God, to enter into uh, the spirit of praise and adoration that is reflected in this glorious portion of God's Word known as Psalm 105. And so indeed, we are, we are called upon and summoned in this psalm uh, to, uh, to worship and praise the Lord, to glory in His holy name. But next, as we move on to verses 5 through 11, and this is the second point in your sermon outline, friends, remember the wonders of the faithful God who remembers His covenant forever. There are two remembrances going on in this section. We as God's people are called upon to remember His wonders, the wonders of the Lord, His glorious deeds of grace and judgment. And we are to remember the one who Himself remembers His covenant forever. Remember the wonders of the faithful God who remembers His covenant forever. The major central theme throughout this psalm is Yahweh's faithfulness to keep His covenant forever. When God makes a promise, 
he keeps his promises. You know, sometimes when we make promises to one another, we, we mean those promises half-heartedly. And sometimes people even make promises with their fingers crossed behind their backs. Their promises can often be deceptive. We think of our politicians, for example, uh, making many promises that they oftentimes don't intend to keep. But not so our Lord. God is faithful. He remembers his covenant forever. Not merely in the sense that he, he, he brings it to mind, but in the sense that he acts upon that which he has promised. Look at verse 5. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. Now, later in this lengthy psalm, the psalmist recounts many of these wonders of the past, wonders such as God's faithfulness in the history of Joseph. You remember Joseph who was sold into slavery, but God did raise Joseph up to deliver uh, God's people from, and, and many others as well, from starvation. We remember God's faithfulness in the history of Joseph. We also are, uh, Psalm 105 recounts, the psalmist recounts the Lord's deliverance of his people Israel from their slavery in Egypt by raising up Moses and and in the process of delivering his people, uh, pouring out mighty plagues upon the Egyptians, which again, these uh, plagues are, some of these plagues are listed here in Psalm 105 and remembered as, uh, as being part of the wonders that God performed Uh, Wonders of judgment and deliverance. And then finally, we see the wonders of God in bringing his people into the promised land in fulfillment of his covenant promise. That covenant promise being brought out especially in verse 11 where God says to Abraham, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. So again, we are told to remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels, and the judgments he uttered by his mouth. Now, to whom is the psalmist addressing this exhortation to remember? Well, he's addressing those described in verse 6 as the seed of Abraham, his servant, the sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. As we learn in the New Testament, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord by the sovereign grace of God, even if you have not a drop of, of Jewish blood in your body, even if you are a Gentile of the Gentiles, If you are a true believer in Christ, you are a son, a daughter of Abraham, and thus, by grace, uh, one of his chosen ones. So this applies to you and to me as well. Verse 7, the psalmist reminds the people of God, the people of God in the Old Testament often forgot that the Lord, Yahweh, was the only true God and was their God, and he reminds them that he is the Lord. He is Yahweh, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. And then expanding upon that, he goes on to say of the Lord that he has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. God never forgets his promises. He has remembered his word, and the passing of time does not uh, eat away at God's uh, memory muscle. God continues to remember throughout all ages, not just in the sense of keeping it in mind, but in the sense of acting in his divine providence to faithfully execute his covenant promises. And what covenant promises in particular are in mind here? Well, again, verse 9, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, and then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land 
of Canaan. In verses uh, 8 through 11, we read this language of the Lord remembering his covenant. And again, as I've already said, but I want to stress it some more. He remembers, not, not that God is ever in danger of forgetting. Remember, God is uh, the omniscient one. He knows all things. God does not experience memory lapses. Uh, God does not suffer from cosmic amnesia. He is always mindful. But when the scriptures use uh, this language of God remembering, again, what they mean, he remembers in the sense that he is at work at work, that he acts to fulfill his covenant promises. He acts within history. In his divine providence, he orchestrates events so that his covenant promises come to fruition in his timing. And similarly, when we are exhorted to remember the Lord, that doesn't mean merely to bring uh, to mental remembrance the things that the Lord has done, although that's part of it. But to remember the Lord means to obey the Lord. Not only to think upon who He is and all that He's done, but on the basis of who He is and what He has done to trust and by His grace to obey Him. You know, we sometimes sing that beautiful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I don't know about you folks, but that's one of, one of my favorite hymns. I have a lot of favorite hymns, but that's, that's one of them. Think of those words. So precious, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have need of thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and his glorious bodily resurrection and ascension and reign at the Father's right hand assures us that our God is indeed faithful to keep his covenant promises. We can rely upon them. We can stake our eternity upon his promises. This, beloved, is our comfort both in life and in death, knowing that our gracious God and heavenly Father is faithful to keep His covenant promises freely given to us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're here this evening or watching uh, this, uh, this sermon this evening and you are struggling in your faith, oh dear struggling believer, may you be comforted in knowing that your blessed Savior is a faithful Savior. He is a Savior who remembers His covenant forever. And because he remembers his covenant forever, what does that mean for you? That means that he will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Nor will he ever abandon his covenant bond of love and mercy that he has given to you. Even if you are faithless, this is not a counsel for you to, uh, to be loose in your living or to presume upon the, the faithfulness of God, but even if you should stray, if you truly belong to Christ, if He is your Lord and Savior, He will not let you stray uh, beyond, uh, beyond reach. He will sooner or later bring you back because He is faithful to keep His covenant. His covenant mercies are sealed by His precious lifeblood, which He shed upon the cross of Calvary, 
to redeem you from all of your sins. So trust in him. Rest in him. Glory in him. And that brings me to my next point, my final brief point based on verses 12 through 15. And that is, beloved, trust in the providential protection and guidance of the Lord who watches over his pilgrim people. Trust in the providential protection and guidance of the Lord who watches over his pilgrim people. Just as Yahweh the Lord faithfully watched over Abraham and the patriarchs when they were few in number and vulnerable, uh, so vulnerable and weak to attack from outsiders. Look at verses 12 through 15. The psalmist recounts the history of redemption when the people of God were very, very few. In the times of Abraham, when they were only a few men in number, very few, and strangers in it, they were strangers in a foreign land, uh, which would put you in a very vulnerable position in those days. And they wandered about from nation to nation. They had no land of their own. They were nomads wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Based on verse 12, we see that that God faithfully watched over his people, even when they were few in number, unstable, weak, and vulnerable. You know, as we look at the state of, of the faithful church today, the church of Jesus Christ that is faithful in preaching the gospel. We see the church is so filled with sin, so filled with weakness, so vulnerable. The true churches today seem to be so small in numbers as a general rule. They seem to be so weak, so vulnerable to the attacks and influences of the world. How can the church survive in such times as these? We read the statistics that that Churches all over the nation are bleeding members, and the churches are shrinking. And Christian influence, if there ever was such, is shrinking more and more in our nation. And it's, tempted to, it's tempting to throw up our hands in despair and say, it's hopeless. Brothers and sisters, it's not hopeless because he remembers his covenant forever. Our Lord guides and guards his people in all generations, and he will continue to do so even until the return of Christ. And he keeps his people, his faithful remnant, from ultimate spiritual harm. So let us not live in despair. Let us live in confidence, resting in the Lord's sovereign providential protection. Now, in verses 13 through 15, the background of these verses seems clearly to be Genesis chapter 20, uh, where Abimelech, the king of Gerar, had taken Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, to be his own wife, uh, in large part because Abraham had not been entirely forthright about his relationship with Sarah. He had said, well, Sarah's my sister. And so uh, Abimelech took Sarah to be his wife, thereby unknowingly threatening the integrity of God's covenant promise. After all, God had promised Abraham that he would have a son by Sarah. So how is that promise going to be fulfilled when Sarah is now the wife of Abimelech, the king of Gerar? Well, as you may recall, God comes to Abimelech in a dream and and rather threateningly says, "You (laughs) you better return Sarah to her rightful husband and uh, and." 
Abimelech right, rightfully said, Lord, I had no idea. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he did that in the integrity of his heart. And that's the point. God there intervened to guard and protect his covenant promise. He did so by coming to Abimelech in the dream, thereby preventing Abimelech from further sinning and also guarding his covenant promises. And what God did in that instance, he continues to do throughout redemptive history. Indeed, he continues to do today. So once again, beloved, we see God remembering his covenant promises by intervening and acting to guard those promises. So let us, in light of that, let us continue, brothers and sisters, as a church and as believers, to trust in him and in his covenant promises. Let us remember the Lord who graciously remembers his covenant promises in the sense of acting to fulfill, guard, and keep those promises. And let us remember especially his promises of salvation in Christ. And let us be assured that if we believe in Christ, if we trust in him, he will indeed fulfill the promise to save us even to the uttermost. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for its comforts, its truths, and the peace that we derive from it. We pray that by your spirit, you would help us to take these truths to heart. We ask, Lord God, that you would grant that we would live out the implications of these truths in our lives. May we trust and obey out of gratitude for your gift of salvation to us in Jesus. And we thank you, O Lord, that you are such a faithful, covenant-keeping God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Let us, beloved, uh, close our time of worship this evening by singing together our closing hymn. Number 228, Hast Thou Not Known, Hast Thou Not Heard. Let's rise and sing together number 228.